If you please join your hearts together with mine in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you as always for the morning that you give, the time that you uh, give to us, the breath you fill our lungs with, the sight you put in our eyes, and the opportunity to hear your word. We pray, Lord, that uh, you would give us the faith to trust in your word fully, the simple truth that you love your creation, that you have saved us through Jesus. We pray, Lord, that you guide us by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There, there's this simple elegance and beauty in simple things. Uh, think of a few examples. Uh, I, I love different chairs and furniture and whatnot, and there's very complicated ways to put things together. But the simple beauty of something that's constructed without nails or glue or screws, but being able to craft something in such a way to where it fits together in a beautiful fitting and strong and secure and able to be used for whatever its purpose is, but just this simple elegance to something that's created in that way. You all know I like food and wine, so you get a couple of food and wine examples too. Think of a farmer that just grows grapes, right? Grows grapes that tell the story of that season. They don't overwater it. They don't overtrim it. They don't do anything along those lines, but just let the grapes grow in the way that they're going to grow. Manage them for their best ability, like many manage roses, to get a very beautiful rose out of a bush instead of many. And then that grape is picked and harvested and crushed and left to ferment and not over-manipulated in any way, but you end up with a glass of wine that just tells a simple beauty of its story, or a really good classic pizza, <clears throat> a really good classic pizza where the dough is just right. You know, it's very simple to make dough. You need bread, yeast, flour. No, you need bread to make dough. <laughs> you need flour, yeast, water, and that's it, some thyme, maybe a little salt, right? But you take that and you put in really ripe tomatoes and some fresh mozzarella and a little bit of basil and, whoa, you got a really delicious little pizza, right? Simple things. They don't have to be complicated. Now, I'm not talking about simplistic things. I'm not talking about things that are, um, have no depth or no beauty or nothing you know, to hold on to, but just simple, beautiful things. It's kind of how Jesus is talking to his disciples today in the text. You see, they were walking, and he was walking them through the villages of a place called Caesarea Philippi, which is north of the Sea of Galilee. It's kind of northern Israel, and it was a place that had been around for quite a very long time. A lot of Greek worship had gone on there as they worshipped the god Pan, and uh, there was a lot of darkness, actually, in that area. It's a very strange place to walk around if you ever have an opportunity to go there. Uh, but it was kind of considered this uh, one point of a dark triangle during that time. You had Caesarea Philippi, you had Dan, and then you had another place called Omri. And these were places where you usually wouldn't find Jews walking around. You usually wouldn't find anybody. It was definitely filled with pagan worship. It was filled with a lot of things that were very opposite from what God would have his people doing. And so as Jesus is walking up into the villages surrounding this area that was known for these things and then also was very much known as a place of authority since Herod's brother Philip was the one that had built it out and uh, you know, they were looking for power and whatnot in those areas. As Jesus was walking up with his disciples through these villages on the way to that place, he asked them a very simple question. Who do people say that I am? It's, it's kind of hard, hard to figure out sometimes. I mean, 
Herod had said that he was John the Baptist raised from the dead, right? So they say that, John the Baptist. Others, maybe you're the promised Elijah, because the prophets had told of Elijah coming back, and you're doing some pretty amazing things. So some say you're Elijah, and then others, well, you're just one of the prophets, Jesus. Think about that real quick. Those three examples that they pulled out, those are all men, humans, right? People just like you and me. Used for a particular purpose by God, but they were simply humans. Okay? It's not too different than a lot of people talk about Jesus nowadays. If you ever ask somebody that same question, who do you say that Jesus is? They'll tend to answer in one of those ways. Well, he's a, he's a good teacher. He's a moralistic leader. Um, you know, maybe he had some kind of connection and spoke about God's word, but he was just a man. And that's usually how he's explained in most faiths. And then Jesus gets a little bit closer, a little bit more intimate in his questioning, right? And he says, who do you say that I am? Peter, big and bold, well, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. You're the sent one by God. That's who you are, Jesus. He says, right, good. So let me tell you what that's going to look like. That's going to look like me being rejected, killed, and raised. Peter pulls him aside and he says, no, Jesus, you don't understand what the Christ is supposed to do. That's not what you're supposed to do. It's not too far off about how many people actually react to Jesus. See, Jesus' words are hard to hear sometimes when they call us out in our sin. And a lot of times we don't want to hear those words. And so we start to hold on to things that we really like or we start to push Jesus off into a category of simply love and not holding anybody accountable for anything. And so you start to hear this phrase, well, my Jesus wouldn't do that. That's exactly what Peter was doing. He looked up at Jesus and he goes, Jesus, my Messiah wouldn't do that. That's not what the Messiah has come here to do. You as the anointed one, the Christ, you're supposed to lead our people out. Remember this whole power thing that's going on up here and we've got Herod and we've got Philip and we've got all the Romans that are around. Messiah, you're supposed to lead us out of that and bring your people back up into their noted position. And Jesus, very plainly, very simply, had already told him what the Messiah was supposed to do, right? But I love that line in there. He says, he said this plainly. Now remember, Mark's writing this after the fact, right? He's writing this maybe 20 years after the crucifixion or so. And so he's able to look back. And during that time, I doubt they thought that Jesus was speaking very plainly. But in this very moment, he was not veiling it in parables. He was not speaking in any other ways. He just said, look, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be rejected by the chief priests. I'm going to be rejected by the elders. I'm going to be killed. And I'm going to be raised. And they just couldn't wrap their heads around that simple thing. See, it's not a simplistic thing, like I said before, but just a simple, clear understanding, not even understanding, clear, simple explanation of what the Messiah was there to do. They wouldn't have it. They wouldn't understand it. They wouldn't wrap their head around that fact that he had actually come to die for their sins. And I think sometimes as people come to us and ask us about our faith, we sometimes want to get it overcomplicated. We start digging in too deep one way or the other, trying to figure out how to say it and how to explain it. And oftentimes people just want a simple, clear explanation. A simple, clear pronunciation of your faith, right? And it's there. 
And you can start very simply as you talk to people as well because there are times in life when people are going to come to you and say, who do you say that Jesus is? Well, quite simply, he's the God that loves his creation. Now, as you unpack that simple phrase, you end up getting more complexities of what that looks like because you don't just have a man. You have a man that's also 100% God. And so how do you explain that? I have no idea. That's not a simple thing. But what you can see is the effects of that and that that is still a true statement, that you have a man and God in one person and that that God has loved his creation. And so you move from that and you say, well, it's a God who loves his creation. And what's that look like? Well, he'd be rejected killed, and raised. Just as he said he would. But see, to be rejected, he was rejected for us. He was rejected so that he would be killed in our place. Because as he was killed, he carried God's wrath that was intended for your sin. So instead of you having to bear that wrath, instead of you having to bear the weight of that punishment, instead of you having to bear that, God loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you. That starts to sound like other clear scripture, right? But he sent his son into that place to be rejected when he didn't deserve it and to be killed on your behalf so that he would be raised for your life. Raised to give you eternal life. Raised because he did not deserve that death, nor did he deserve to die and suffer that wrath. But he did it in your place so that he would die as a sacrifice for your sins. And as he was raised to life once again, he then hands over a free and gracious gift to you of life. So that you would not be rejected by God. So that you would not die a death in separation from his grace and mercy. But so that you would be raised to life after death, so that you would not taste the weight of his wrath in death, but so that you would enjoy the beautiful, simple life of Christ given for you. So whenever you want to think of things in a simple manner, remember that Christ himself gives you the simple words. God loves you. He's forgiven you. And he holds on to you. That's the promise that was given to you in your baptism. That's the promise that shapes your identity as a Christian. That's the promise that we can hold on to through all of the hard and difficult and dark times of life. Just as the disciples were walking into that very dark area with Jesus up into those villages around Caesarea Philippi and you get this beautiful confession of faith. Though Peter may not have understood what it meant at the beginning, he understood it after the resurrection. And then says it to all of us plainly, right? As he comes back around to remember what Jesus said and he finally realized, you know what? Jesus said it really, really clearly. He'd be rejected, killed, and raised for your good, for your benefit, and because he loves you. A simple thing. It's hard to hold on to sometimes. But nonetheless, a very simple thing, that God loves you and holds on to you. Amen. You pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you have done for us. That in the times that we want to either try and make things overcomplicated or add too much to it or, or think that it's just too easy, and we pray that you would lead us by your Spirit to remember that it is just that easy. That you have sent your Son to die in our place. That you have raised him to life to give us that same gift of life. And that's it. 
And we pray, Lord, that you give us the faith each day to trust in that promise, to know that you've taken care of everything into eternity for us. And we pray, Lord, uh, that you would give us hearts uh, to uh, take care of those who are around us, sometimes in very simple ways, um, but to know that you have loved us completely in your Son, Jesus. Amen. And as we confess who our God is for us,